You're listening to Comedy Central. July 15, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Icon, whose new memoir is called Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem. Dapper Dan is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, New York goes dark, the world's worst billionaire, and I think the president might be racist. So let's catch up <laughs> on today's headlines. All right, let's begin with news from Hollywood. They gave us black superheroes, then we got black mermaids, and now we may be getting a black spy. The next James Bond star to receive a license to kill will be a first in franchise history. The Daily Mail reporting British actress Lashana Lynch will be revealed as the next 007 agent in the new Bond 25 movie. Lynch will be the first black woman to play the role. The movie is due out next year. Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> 007? It's gonna be a black woman. Are you serious? This is so dope. Yeah, cause she's probably gonna kick ass just as much as he did, and this will be the first movie where we see a Bond villain die from a lethal dose of side eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what's gonna be really fun? Is seeing how all the other characters react to a black spy. You know, like now when the villain captures her, he'll be like, I have one question for your 007. Can I touch your hair, please? <laughs> No, it's just like, do you wake up like that? I've never, I've never had this before. I'm just like, wow. My favorite part of the movie is gonna be where the bad guys are chasing her like, stop that black lady, but not cause she's black, not cause she's black. <laughs> it's just because she stole our plutonium. If she were white, I would say the same thing. You know me, guys. In fact, if I didn't want to kill her, that would be racist, okay? Let's be honest. <laughs> and speaking of women who are making waves, AOC, Ayana, Ilhan, and Rashida, AKA the squad, are back in the news. Now, you probably know this. Ever since the Democrats took the House, these four women have taken the lead in calling Trump out. And yesterday, the president hit back in the most Trumpy way imaginable. We're gonna go to Washington now, where President Trump has sparked a storm of outrage after a series of racist tweets targeting members of Congress who are women of color. The president Sunday called out progressive Democrat Congresswomen, tweeting, why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it is done. Adding, these places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. The Congresswomen came from Cincinnati, Detroit, and New York City. Only one of the group, Representative Ilhan Omar, a Somali refugee, was born outside of the U.S. Wow. You know, I don't know what's worse. The fact that the president thought it's acceptable to say, go back to where you came from, or the fact that he said it to people who are already where they came from. (laughs) You know, it's almost like in Trump's head, you can't be a person of color and an American, which is strange because he of all people should know that you can be two things (laughs) at the same time. Yeah, I mean, he's bald and has a full head of hair. It doesn't make sense, (laughs) but we accept it. But not surprisingly, not surprisingly, Mr. Mexicans are rapists doesn't think that he said anything bad. 
Does it concern you that many people saw that tweet as racist and that uh, white nationalist groups are finding common cause with you on that point? It doesn't concern me because many people agree with me. And all I'm saying, they want to leave, they can leave. Now, it doesn't say leave forever. It says leave if you want. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know where to begin. Uh, first of all, just because many people agree with you doesn't mean you aren't being racist, okay? Imagine if Hitler was like, I know everybody says I'm bad, but have you seen how many people are waving at me in the streets, yeah? I mean, <laughs> if I was racist, they would say something, yeah? They would say something, yeah? <laughs> and I also love how Trump is trying to twist it now. He's like, when I said go back to where you come from, I didn't mean forever. I meant for the weekend. They can come back. <laughs> they, they can come back, it's totally normal. He makes it sound like that's what's been dividing America all this time, is that these people aren't racist. We just haven't let them finish their full statements, yeah? Like, maybe if we let people finish, they'd say, we don't need your kind around here. We want your kind around here, because <laughs> we appreciate you. <laughs> so, here we are again, my friends. Everyone says this was racist. Trump says it was not. It's hard to know which side is correct. <laughs> But this sounds like a case for Trevor Noah, racism detective. He's the only person who can help us find out, is Donald Trump racist? <laughs> yes, he's racist. <laughs> Finally, in some viral news, for decades, Americans have wanted to know what secrets are contained within the walls of Area 51. And for decades, the government has said, what's Area 51? <laughs> but it looks like now the nation's morons have had enough, and they're going to find out for themselves. For decades, conspiracy theorists have accused the United States military of hiding evidence of little green men and UFOs at the top secret base in the Nevada desert. Now, hundreds of thousands of Facebook users are signing up all the time for an event called Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. <laughs> it's scheduled for September the 20th. The Air Force is warning people that Area 51 is a training range and that the military is ready to defend it. Okay. Okay, I, I didn't think Area 51 was suspicious until that last part. Yeah, the military's like, guys, it's just an ordinary training range, and if you come near here, we will kill all of you. <laughs> and it's like, what's, what's there? Now we want to know. And as for this Facebook group, their plan is to storm the military base because they, quote, can't stop all of us. <laughs> Have you guys never heard of bombs, huh? Because <laughs> those things can stop a lot of us at the same time. And let's be clear, a million people aren't going to storm Area 51. A million people responded on Facebook. <laughs> yes. Which means seven people are going to storm <laughs> Area 51. <laughs> and like, I don't even know what these people are hoping will happen, you know? Like, what are you gonna do when you get there? You know what would be great? Is if they actually get through the security and then find an alien, and the alien is like, hello, everyone. We're like, oh my God, so you're real? Well, don't worry, buddy. We're gonna get you back to where you came from. He's like, oh, wow, where I came from? So racist. <laughs> so racist. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our main story.
Jeffrey Epstein. Over the past week, you've probably seen his name everywhere. Newspaper headlines, your Twitter feed, and obviously the sex offender registry. And if you don't know Jeffrey Epstein, think R. Kelly without the melanin or the talent, and a lot more organized. Former high-flying financier Jeffrey Epstein was indicted today on charges of sex trafficking involving underage girls. Federal prosecutors say Jeffrey Epstein created a network of dozens of victims, some as young as 14, who he sexually abused at his estate in Palm Beach, Florida, and mansion in New York City. The FBI raid on the mansion uncovered sex toys, a life-size female doll hanging from a chandelier, and hundreds of lewd photos. Bill Cosby used to live in a townhouse directly opposite the mansion. I don't know who's writing real life now, but this story is insane. First of all, that this hedge fund billionaire got away with running an underage sex ring for years, and secondly, that he lived right across the road from Bill Cosby. Like, I don't know who the neighborhood watch is, but they're doing a shitty job. <laughs> like, seriously, how do two major sex criminals buy houses across the road from each... Like, what are the chances, huh? Is there a filter on Zillow that I'm unaware of, is there? <laughs> There's like Fireplace, Secret Sex Dungeon. Oh, and Doorman, Doorman, definitely Doorman. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, Bill Cosby and Jeffrey Epstein on the same street. Talk about a dangerous neighborhood. Like, they could do a whole season of Law and Order that just takes place on that block. <laughs> just that block. So, so the police raided Epstein's mansion, found lots of incriminating evidence, and threw him in jail. And today, Epstein's lawyers argued that he should be allowed to live under house arrest until his trial. Although I don't think house arrest is a good idea because, I mean, the house is where all this shady shit allegedly went down. It would be like Walter White getting to go wait for trial in an RV in the desert. It's like, well, that's, that's where it happens. And you might be asking, where does Epstein even get the balls to ask for such lenient treatment from the law? Well, maybe it's because this wouldn't be the first time. In 2008, Epstein was accused of running this very same sex trafficking operation involving at least 40 underage girls, but those federal charges back in 2008 were dropped after Epstein received a controversially lenient plea deal. Epstein was only in county jail for 13 months and was allowed out to go to work six days a week. I'm sorry, everything is shady about this deal. Yeah, yeah, what is the right reaction there? <laughs> Not only did the charges get dropped, what he was charged for meant that he was going to jail, but he was allowed to leave prison for six days a week and go to work. Yeah. That's, that's not prison, that's just life. <laughs> you go to work every day, and then Sundays, you stay in. The only difference is he was living rent-free. I mean, can you imagine if you were sharing a cell with this guy? Epstein comes back to jail at night, and his cellmate is like, what a day, I spent 12 hours in solitary confinement, and Epstein is like, oh, I wish I was in solitary. Starbucks was a zoo this morning. <laughs> Anyway, good night, Bill Cosby. <laughs> now, now, one of the reasons this story has blown up isn't just because Epstein is a billionaire who was running an underage sex trafficking ring. It's also because the man who led him off with that lenient prison sentence went on to become Donald Trump's labor secretary. Yes. And now, because the story is blowing up again, Trump's guy has been forced to step down. 
The fallout from Epstein's case reached the White House Friday. Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta resigning his cabinet position after Acosta faced mounting pressure for his role in negotiating a controversial plea deal with Epstein as a U.S. attorney in Florida more than a decade ago. President Trump accepting the resignation while praising Acosta. This was him, not me, because I'm with him. He was a, he's a tremendous talent. He's a Hispanic man. He's a Hispanic man? What a strange thing to bring up when a guy is resigning. Like, no other boss would do that. No one would be like, so everybody, uh, today is Jerry's last day. Uh, he's Korean and uh, there'll be cake in the break room. Thank you, everybody. So the guy who gave Epstein that sweet deal has resigned in disgrace. But the question remains, how did Epstein manage to get away with just a slap on the wrist in the first place? Well, it turns out maybe it's because of how insanely connected he was. The 66-year-old has palled around with some of the most powerful in politics and business, including President Trump. In 2002, Trump called Epstein a terrific guy, adding, it is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do and many of them are on the younger side. Reporting this morning suggesting closer ties between the president and Epstein, a 1992 party at Mar-a-Lago billed as a calendar girl competition. A Florida businessman who organized it tells the Times 30 people attended this party. 28 girls, Mr. Trump and Mr. Epstein. That's the entire party. 28 women in a room with Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein. Doesn't sound like a party. It sounds like an escape the room. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Pull on his hair, see if it does something. And it's not just Trump. It turns out Epstein has had powerful friends on both sides of the aisle. Mr. Epstein was also friends with former President Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton's office released its own statement. President Clinton knows nothing about the terrible crimes Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to. Clinton acknowledges he flew four times on Epstein's private jet in 2002 and 2003. Shante Davis was a flight attendant on the jet known as the Lolita Express because it allegedly shuttled underage girls between Epstein's homes. She told Inside Edition Clinton did nothing improper on those trips. She says she made him peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, I'm... I'm glad the news got her to reenact the making of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just so that we all know what that looks like. That was nice, that was nice. And clearly, clearly this is, this is a man who had a lot of connections, right? It might explain how he got away with those heinous, time, those heinous crimes for so long. Uh, and with these new charges being filed against him, many are wondering who he might bring down with him. Over the coming weeks, the story's gonna unfold. Uh, there's a good chance a lot of questions are gonna be answered, like how exactly Epstein made all of his money, which is shady. Which powerful people were involved in his sex ring? And most importantly, why his front door is so goddamn big. <laughs> There are so many mysteries that this trial will hopefully uncover. And you know what? If we don't get the answers, I'm gonna start a Facebook group where one million of us march to his house <laughs> and we figure out what the hell is going on. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Daily Show. New York City in the summertime. There's so much to love about this place. It's got 100% humidity, so you don't need to shower. <laughs> if you get too hot, you can always go to the beach and swim in a sea of syringes. <laughs> and love is in the air because of all the subway masturbators. But <laughs> just when I thought New York couldn't get any better, this happened. The blackout mystery, a major section of New York City grinding to a halt as 40 blocks go dark. Mass confusion in Manhattan, minutes after a power outage flipped the off switch on the city's bright lights. From above, you could see the shadows of the skyline. In Times Square, the usually vibrant billboards went black. That's right, one of America's largest cities was cast into darkness. Even Times Square went completely black. And I don't know if you've seen a dark Times Square, but it is terrifying. <laughs> I saw it, and I, I felt like at any second a face was gonna show up on the screens like, citizens of Earth, <laughs> prepare to be probed. <laughs> like, it was really, really creepy. <laughs> now, for me, this blackout was double terrifying, okay? Because for the 4th of July, I went to California. And then while I was there, an earthquake hit, okay? And then I was like, whoa, that was scary. Then a few days later, another earthquake hit. And if, like one earthquake is bad enough. The second one feels like it's trying to finish you off, yeah? <laughs> I was just shaking like, I'm sorry, Mother Earth, I'll recycle more. <laughs> so after that, I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't, like, I can't do earthquakes. I'm flying back to New York. And then the blackout hit. <laughs> At that point, I was like, yeah, Trump must tell me to come, go back to where I came from. I'll leave, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready, I'll go. And the worst part, the worst part was when the power went out. Mayor Bill de Blasio wasn't here because he was off in Iowa campaigning to be president, which is a shame because we could have used him in New York, not as mayor, but just as like a lighthouse, just to <laughs> help us see everything. <laughs> and you know what's great about New York? Is even though the mayor wasn't there, everyday New Yorkers stepped up to do their part. After the sunset this evening, Manhattan's west side was just about pitch black. People and pets kept their flashlights close. Businesses and apartments were in the dark. Some delis and restaurants were trying to serve customers with flashlights. And Hell's Kitchen residents passed the time on their stoops, too hot to be in their apartments without AC. Stoplights at some busy intersections off, leaving pedestrians to step in to direct traffic. Yeah, you see? <laughs> That's what New Yorkers do, baby. They helped out during a crisis, huh? Basically, New Yorkers were doing every policeman's job. They were directing traffic. They were checking in on old people. It was inspiring, except for the one person who probably tried to take over a hostage negotiation. He was like, don't worry, everybody, I got this. All right, tough guy, shoot one of them to know you're serious. Come on, let's see. <laughs> and it wasn't just the pedestrians stepping up. No, even Broadway actors made the best out of the blackout. How do you handle things when the lights go out on Broadway? Well, the cast of several musicals took their act to the streets during Saturday night's blackout here in Manhattan. See, you gotta love Broadway, man, huh? You gotta love Broadway. The show must go on. Think about, that's real talent. Cause the power also went out at the movie theaters, huh, at AMC. Yeah, but you didn't see John Wick come out of the screen and kick people's asses in real life. No, 
But even a blackout couldn't stop Broadway. Everyone came out. The singers carried on their musicals on the sidewalk. The thespians thespianed outside, huh? And the cast of The Lion King brought their performance to life in the streets by mauling seven people to death. It was really inspiring. Plus, I will say we all got a new life hack, all of us people who live in New York uh, and people who visit. Uh, if you can't afford tickets to a show like Hamilton, just cut the power, you get a show for free. Yeah. Everyone just comes outside. Now, everywhere's the room where it happens. And thankfully, after three hours, the power came back on. But even though no one was hurt, this blackout might be a sign of something a lot more ominous. While investigators don't believe foul play was involved in Saturday, national security experts say the blackout should serve as a wake-up call. National security experts are very concerned that this country's power grid is vulnerable to a cyber attack. Complex systems that have been put in place and built upon over many years, there are going to be vulnerabilities. Our adversaries know what those vulnerabilities are and they will look to exploit them. That's right, this is another reminder that America's power grid is vulnerable. And we don't know if that's what caused this blackout, but it is a little suspicious that it was on the anniversary of the 1977 major blackouts. Like maybe this was just a coincidence, a malfunction, or maybe a hostile foreign power was trying to hack America. We'll never know. Yeah. And if they've done it once, they can do it again and again. So Russia, if you're listening, <laughs> I'll be outside Hamilton next Thursday. <laughs> you guys know what to do. We'll be right back. My guest tonight is a fashion icon who pioneered high-end streetwear catering to gangsters, athletes, and musicians. His new memoir is called Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem. Please welcome Dapper Dan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here because I remember the first time I heard your name was in a rap song. I remember rappers would rap about being laced up by da Dapper Dan. You know, people would talk about these threads from Dapper Dan, styled by Dapper Dan. It was an idea and it was a myth. And now when people see you today, they go, the suits, they see you dressing people at the Met Gala, they think, oh yeah, this man's a fashion designer, but you didn't start in the most normal place. You, you, you started making something out of nothing as a hustler. Yes, exactly. I started with nothing. I was like, um, you would probably say, you was born in crime. I was born in crime. Wow, <laughs> right. Yeah, and so I had, to, I had to adjust to life, so I used the tools that was available to me. When I wanted to open up a store, nobody would sell to me, so I said, you know what? I'm gonna figure out how to do this myself. I'm gonna learn how to make fabric and do everything that the big boys do and do it better than they do it. You really, yeah, I mean, you really, you really did something that I don't think anybody thinks is possible. I don't think anyone has achieved in, in the same way that you've done it. For those who don't know, you know those like very fancy, um, Fendi, you know, outfits that you see, you know all these designer clothes where you see like all the, the labels everywhere on it, like Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, oh, Fendi, 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 Fendi. That was, that was him. So a lot of people don't know this about Dapper Dan, but, but you came along 
and you created a, a, like a street version of what these high-end brands were creating. You made uh, your own version of Gucci, your own version of Fendi, your own version of all of these brands, which became bigger than the brands for many black people. Yeah, you know what I did? I, um, what they call me is the father of logomania. I looked at the brand, I looked at the, the brand, and I said, wow, everybody's excited about the logo, but Gucci is not making jackets, Fendi is not making jackets. None right. of these guys are making jackets and outfits. I said, wow, well, if they're excited with the bag, imagine if I can make them look like the luggage. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what's cool about the book is you, you tell the story of how, here's this man, Play dice, you know, hustling yeah. in the streets. Yeah. You start working in fashion. You go, I'm gonna dress people in Gucci the way I think they wanna be dressed in Gucci. They wanna be dressed in Fendi. And then the fashion houses came after you. They sued and shut you down. And then they went and stole the designs that you made for the people in the streets. That's an interesting space to be in. Yeah, when you consider this, like, I wasn't doing knockoffs, I did knockups. I made the brand better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. What did you think? What did you think the first time you saw your designs on a runway? I wanted to run up and just snatch it off them and say, <laughs> "This is mine," you know. But social media wasn't out when I first saw that the, the big brands was doing it. Right. And I said, "Wow, look at this." The, the only thing I thought would ever happen is that one day somebody would figure out, well, that came from Dapper Dan. But the day came sooner than I thought. The day did come sooner than you thought because what's interesting is, and I didn't know this from, you know, I learned this from the book, is you initially started off helping rappers out. Because when you, when you gave rappers clothing, rap wasn't big. It sure wasn't because they still owe me money. So, and I talk about it in the book. And so yeah. you, you dressed everybody from LL Cool J and, you know, uh, Jam Master J, and you dressed um, Salt and Pepper, that infamous look. That was all you. And, and that became, yeah, that became the style. Yes. You know? And then the rappers turned around and they made Dapper Dan a name when they became big, which was a beautiful circle of life there. Yes, it sure is. You know what? I think the most exciting person to come through who even rose above the rappers was Mike Tyson. And that was the big thing. When Mike Tyson came in there and right. had the big fight with Mitch Green yeah. inside my store and outside my store, they said, <laughs> the brand said, well, what the heck is a Dapper Dan? And then the whole world caved in. The whole world has caved in. Mm -hmm. You have now gotten to a place where you're no longer seen as an outsider, but rather a trendsetter. Yes. You work with these fashion houses. They've yeah. teamed up with you. For instance, you work with Gucci now, where they've said, Dapper Dan, we want to create with you. Yeah. In fact, you were part of the conversation when Gucci had um, that incident where they came out with those designs where people, uh, there was backlash on social media. Yes, yes, you, yes, you yes, team, yes, why, yes. Why did you team up with them? Why did you, why did you work with Gucci when many people well, were saying Well, you know what, I did, a, I did a lot of research even before I got into the partnership, and I researched, like, Alexandro, the uh, lead designer, and I researched Marco, the uh, CEO, and, yeah. and I know these men were genuine, so I said, what happened? I said, well, y'all, I don't know what happened. You know, if you, you shoot a guy by accident and you shoot him on purpose, he's dead. Right. So I told him, you have to come, you have to, come to Harlem and we, we gotta fix this. You gotta explain to people what they did, and they came. You know, and so now we have the change maker program, whereby Gucci's gonna be putting money into different programs. We're gonna have inclusivity. We got vice presidents now in the right. color. And so it's, it's a big program. It's the change makers program. So we're gonna make a change. And actually, what we're starting here with Gucci, 
We need to move that on to other brands. Because that was a big thing people complained about. They said yeah. the reason brands keep making these mistakes is because they have no people of color working exactly. on their stuff. Exactly. And you came in and said, Gucci, we need to change this. Instead of an apology, I want to see a change. Exactly. That's exactly. And we need to take that change to every brand. Right. What do you think, what do you, think you want to see change in the future in fashion now that Dapper Dan has a name and clout? What I really would like to see is that, you know, culture is what moves fashion. And, you know, this hip-hop culture went global. Right. So if the culture can go global, why can't the representatives of the culture go global as well? So that's what I advocate for. I advocate for more people who make a contribution to the culture that enables these brands to make money to be inclusive today. Brand. Right. Make that money, man. It's an exciting book. An amazing life. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem is available now. Dapper Dan, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.